Hello, all my wonderful friends. How you doing? This is Coffee Chug, and I'm here with another edition of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I am here today with Dr. Robert Dillon. He's so phenomenal. I've got all the links in the show notes to check out his work as we think about learning space design and why it's more important than just furniture and the power of parent partnerships and just so many things happening in education, what we can do um, as educators, as parents, as, as, as leaders, and, and our role within the systems to create the best learning optimal conditions for our students. I'm really excited to also announce he's listening to this podcast that he is coming to Iowa. He's coming to the place where I work, Mississippi Bend AEA, and we are putting on a full-day learning space design workshop focused on the STEM mindset. And so if you're looking for ways to reinvigorate your classroom and different strategies and techniques to create a culture to enhance learning, this workshop's for you. And all the links are in the show notes. Guys, if you like this episode or any other episodes, please share. Take a screenshot. Post it on social media. Let people know you're listening to it and help spread the wealth. The more we get listening, the more we share, the more we can empower one another. So guys, enjoy this episode with Dr. Robert Dillon a person that I go to all the time. He's so amazing. He's so down to earth and just a great person to have in your tribe. Enjoy. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like happy for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hello everyone, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer, Coffee Chug Books, here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, and super excited to have this opportunity to bring someone who I consider both uh, a mentor and just the expertise that he brings, also a friend and just uh, an all-around amazing person that has impacted so many people. Um, and so, uh, Bob, let's just jump right in here and have you just kind of quickly introduce um, who you are and what you do, and then we'll get right into the meat and potatoes of this uh, really amazing conversation here. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. And I think that uh, the big thing for me is I often feel like my entire life is living on the edge of chaos. <laughs> so I can't imagine this not being perfect. Um, you know, I work uh, primarily in the St. Louis area as the director of innovative learning for the school district of University City. But I also get an opportunity to travel around the country and work with teachers and schools and districts uh, on a variety of things, including how they can be more intentional about the way they're designing things like curriculum and technology integration and uh, in many cases about learning space design. Yeah, and I know that you're, you have you have many passion areas and learning spaces is one of them that many people definitely reach out to you. I know I've reached out to you several times about the importance of, of the space and, and maybe even connecting it a little bit to um, the name of this podcast, Living on the Edge of Chaos. You know, one of the things that I think um, – that a lot of teachers are trying to grapple with is this idea that they know what's needed for their kids in their space. Uh, but maybe those that are in charge, um, I don't want to say that they're, they're, they're blockers intentionally, but maybe through a lack of, of knowledge or insight, um, seem to sometimes inhibit what the teachers know are needed. And so maybe one of the bigger questions I want to reach out to you right away is, you're, you're, you're a classroom teacher, you know how important 
learning spaces beyond just buying, you know, yoga balls because that's the trend on, on Pinterest and, and Twitter. But you're trying to get through to help these people in charge who have the purchasing power understand how important learning space is, like the design with, with, with intentionality. What have you seen at, as you've traveled and worked with so many different schools and teachers to help bridge that that conversation to help kind of build that awareness? Because I feel like, at least in my field, there's so many that I talk to and they're like, yeah, I get it, but I just can't get through. Have you seen anything or, or techniques or ideas or, or any sort of support for those yeah. that are like, you know, just trying to figure out how to make it work and not a us versus them, but how do we work together to make this happen? Yeah, I have, and I think that's a very wise question, Aaron, because, you know, teachers all over the country have said that to me. They've said, you know, I get this, but my leader doesn't get this, or my community doesn't get this. And one of the things that I put right out in front is you got to get your students talking about how it's impactful for them. So you've got to get your phone out. You've got to record your students. You've got to hear them say, you know, I got to choose where I was in class, and I really enjoy that opportunity. I appreciate that my teacher trusts me. Whatever script you need to write, the students will probably write it better. But <laughs> right. that, I mean, I think that, I mean, that's key number one. And I think the second is the conversation really is about mental health, and it's about brain research. And two things that uh, can bridge the gap between teachers and leaders are conversations that are about those two things as opposed to about furniture. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important. I know and even as we you know dive into that idea of furniture, I know we were talking a little bit just before the, we hit record here. Um, you were talking just about the idea of the variety of platforms. And even as, as you, we were talking about that, I was like, I have, you know, I come at it obviously from a lens of STEM and makerspace. I like the hands-on learning and this and that. Um, but, you know, you also talked a little bit about um, the idea of nature and a place to listen and, a pl- you know, a place to tinker. And so can can you expand on that a little bit? Because I think that's, as, as you were talking before, I was sitting there already taking notes before we even hit record about how important that is, is we think about our learning spaces with intention, that we also think about the variety of learning modalities that we need to uh, keep in mind when when we're trying to plan um, for what a learning space should look like. Yeah. And, you know, for a long time, you know, conferences and gatherings and school districts have had these conversations about what kids should be learning. So there's a lot of conversation about curriculum, very important, how they should learn. Uh, Should it be, you know, teacher up front should be experiential. So we've had a lot of those conversations over decades. Right. Um, What I think has gotten short sided is this idea about where kids learn matters. And so that can be both. Uh, in the classroom and what that looks and feels like. But also, you're right, what's it look like to take that out to nature? What's that look like in the community? What's that look like really beyond the walls of the classroom? And I think that that's the conversation we're having now. And certainly as we want kids to be problem solvers, I mean, we've got to push beyond a tradition of being cooped up in a classroom. Right, right. And so what have you seen, I mean, could you um, maybe share an example or two of, of what you've seen for like, like a classroom teacher that has taken this idea and maybe kind of, you know, moved it into action? Because I'm sure anybody listening isn't going to disagree. You know, it's one of these yeah. things, I was just at a conference last week in Seattle, we talked so much about all the stuff I'm sharing, like 
you guys know all this. The challenge is, what does it take to flip the switch? So when you go back into your school, back into your classroom, like all these ideas don't just, you know, sit in a stack of papers or sit in your drive, you know, like you actually yeah. go and do something with it. So um, I know I'm putting you on a spot there to come up with an idea, but is, have you seen anything recently where someone has actually like done some of this um, just so people can yeah. be like, it's possible? I think uh, one of the things that I'm seeing is that when teachers are able to identify the major problems or challenges in their community, that they are better armed to be able to solve some problems, be able to actually, um, you know, kind of build some solutions. So a couple of teachers that I know have recognized that there's a problem with uh, clean drinking water and, and water pollution in their neighborhoods. So what are they doing? Uh, they're getting kids to talk to people and bringing in experts, but they're also getting kids outside to experience that. And, you know, those are the type of experiences that kids are going to re- remember a year, two years, three years from now. Yeah, yeah. And I think that kind of lends itself into, as we think about learning space, you know, it's not just like you said earlier about the furniture. This becomes so much more. It really becomes part of the mindset, right? Like it's not just about I need a grant so I can go buy X amount of this and X amount of that. We're also rethinking how kids see learning, how kids see the world around them, as well as the educators. And so this is, I think sometimes it always seems like a misconception. I feel like every time I talk about learning space, people think about like the physical things of, do you have, do you have, do you have a spreadsheet of what I can buy? And it's like, well, where's your headspace at first? You know, what have you created the conditions to even think about what you need? Um, which is something that I think, you know, kind of gets misconstrued in, in so much conversations around the idea of learning spaces. Yeah, and if we can get people to slow down, be deliberate, do things with intention. I mean, as educators, we're making thousands of decisions a day. Um, some of those we need to make with, uh, you know, ultimate intention. Some of those we make because they are the way we've done things in the past. But that's the mindset, right? Is getting people to slow down, be deliberate, kind of break what we know to be kind of just the inertia of school. And I think even that will pay off long beyond the conversation about learning space design Uh, can maybe even, you know, as it sunsets people, if we can get people to be intentional and be designers, um, that's going to make a difference long-term for what we're doing. Yeah. And so, you know, as you were talking and you mentioned the idea of that, how busy we are, how many decisions teachers make. And, you know, I, I think about my wife who's eighth grade algebra teacher and just, we get to like Friday night and she's just so exhausted. She like crashes and is sleeping like by like 7 PM, you know? And so as I try to think through these ideas, I always try to figure out this happy medium between what I call like theory land and reality land. And so it's this idea that I'm a classroom teacher. My reality is 10,000 decisions a day, all the things on my plate, all these things that we know. And somewhere in there, I have to be thinking intentionally about my learning space design, but I don't have money or I don't have the space or whatever the, the barriers might be. And then all of a sudden, we see the flip side of someone gets a grant and I get an email or I'm sure you get this a lot where, hey, we just got this grant of $8,000 or $10,000. I need to buy something the next month. What should I buy? And they haven't had the process behind it, you know, yeah. because it's 
like I don't have time to think about something if I don't have the means to make it happen. So like, what do you suggest is like kind of like this happy medium? Like there has to be a little bit of planning ahead of time for when the moment strikes. It's kind of like being prepared for the unprepared. Like what are some ideas for the, for a teacher listening that's going, okay, I need to start to maybe get my ducks in a row. So when the money comes or the support comes, I'm actually not going into this blindly. Like what have you seen that might be some things for them to think about? Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, um, because when those windows of opportunity open up, you need to be able to leap through them and have some ideas about where you're going. Uh, but the, you know, the process, if you can begin it now, getting student feedback, really being an anthropologist of your own space, seeing how kids interact in there, uh, looking at things like movement and accessibility, they'll start to give you some ideas about what's possible. Um, you know, and one of the things I, you know, I think it's really hard to envision what you want next when your space is completely full. So part of that preparation process is how do we thin back um, what you currently have? Uh, I have a challenge going on with some teachers right now that they remove 10 things from their classroom for 10 straight months. And all of them are not having trouble now in month six uh, removing 10 things a month. And so we just have so much stuff built up that in preparation for when opportunities arise, the best thing you can do is get some things out of the way so you can re-envision what that space is going to be. And then I think the other thing is, yeah, I think the other thing there is just making sure you're thinking about what small things can I do to give my students more choice in the classroom? And that can be as something as simple as letting people know it's okay to stand in the back of the room or you provide some sort of standing option or you let kids know it's okay to be on the floor. Or, you know, I think all of those things are uh, baby steps to get things uh, going the right direction. Yeah, I love that. And those are all practical. Those are all things that any of us can do. We don't need to go buy a book or, you know, um, take a course or go get our master's. Like these are things that we can all do. This is something that that's really important to us. Um, and I know at the time of this recording here, you're at South by Southwest. I know you get to um, you have an opportunity to kind of get to go around the nation, whether it's conferences or working with schools and see lots of ideas be put to use and and so what have been some of the things recently that you've seen um, whether that's been in a classroom whether that's been something showcased at a, at a conference um, that's kind of that you think is I don't want to call it the next exciting thing because that kind of gets caught up in the shiny buzzwords but the things that um, are, are really striking some interest in you that you're going, okay, we need to keep building momentum around this idea or this concept um, because I think, you know, unfortunately, education, there is a lot of business and there's a lot of money tied behind it and it, people are always looking for the, these entry points. Um, you know, and I think we've, we've seen the trends go up and down with a variety of things, but what are some things that you're really getting jazzed about that you keep seeing over and over that you're like, there, there's something here? Yeah, you know, um, you know, we talk about the physical space a lot, and we've talked about digital space and trying to figure out how we give kids a good user experience with all of their technology at school. But I'm starting to come around to this idea of what that virtual space looks like, right? And, you know, I've, I've been interested in VR for a long time, but I saw two really, really practical things the other day that started to really get me excited. One 
was a VR opportunity where you could uh, sit and interview for a job. And there were people from, and they had, they, you know, they called it the, the Google interview or the Apple interview, the types of questions that people know they ask in those types of interviews. And so there's people sitting around a boardroom asking you those questions to give you uh, some real uh, practice around that. And then the second piece of that, yeah, that was super cool. And then the second piece of that was the idea of uh, public speaking in virtual reality. We know that that is a fear and we know that we're looking for scaffolds to help kids all the time be better public speakers. Imagine putting on that VR headset, looking like you're in a room of 200 people, there's noise, there's people moving around, but it gives you some practice without having to do that in front of your peers. That's exciting because I know, like, I love VR and AR and, and I know that that's a big trend, but for me, one of the things that I haven't seen yet is it seemed to be such a consumer side of learning at this point you know like all these yeah. things are powerful i mean i'm not i'm not knocking that but so much has been put on a headset and then consume and so that's exciting i haven't heard of some of those things where now you're starting to get this interaction and this engagement that can you know take kids beyond their four walls and still be yeah. some really powerful learning opportunities that you know as a classroom teacher we can't always provide those no matter how amazing we are <laughs> i mean we are limited yeah. Yeah. in humans and that's nothing against us is we have our expertise and, and it's nice to be able to bring those 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 other opportunities and so that, that's super exciting yeah and so you know i think that's what i'm excited about when i when i get a chance to come up there and work with uh folks here in a, in, in a few months here is this idea about um really just bringing some new ideas to the table getting some folks some really practical things they can do the next day and some things they can explore, uh, but also just kind of uh, building up kind of a little bit of an immunity to a lot of the um, negative stuff that floats around the world, right? Like you and I both are very much optimists and stick in this world of like, you know, we're so excited for kids to be able to learn um, in amazing new and uh, ways. Uh, and so I think, all of those things uh, should be a part of the energy of those days. So that'll be good. Yeah, yeah. And super excited for that, that uh, for those listening. Um, he's going to be hanging out here in Iowa. Um, we're going to be spending a full day together thinking about learning space design with the STEM mindset and, and, and focus. And so th I think it's going to be a, a, a super powerful day. Um, for those that are becoming and, and just getting them to kind of rethink their, their learning space, rethink what learning looks like, as well as hopefully um, affirm many of the great things that so many teachers are already doing. Yeah. And I think, I think that's the truth, right? Is there are tons of folks out there that are doing amazing things. And, you know, I, I think part of my session is just to cross pollinate some of those ideas, make sure that, uh, you know, all of the wisdom in the room uh, gets released so that uh, people know who their experts are and that all of those people are available to help each other. I think uh, there's, uh, you know, still not enough of that going on in education where the good stuff is known by everybody. Yeah, and I know even just in my last experience um, where I just had, I was running some workshops, and it was really about just helping so many educators who are doing such incredible work, like just reminding them that what they're doing is phenomenal. Like something has yeah. happened where I feel like so many have lost their confidence in themselves through whatever 
things have happened in their in their in their teacher um, journey, right? Like whether it's been intentional uh, destruction or maybe just unintentional things that have happened, and it's so much of like getting them to share because once you get them to open up, like the floodgates just pour out in terms of like holy cow, like. This is incredible stuff. Like more people need to know about this, you know. And I just think it's 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 something that that uh, I think is is really vital. Um, I think in the conversation beyond learning space, we think about about the conversation around mental health for kids, but mental health for for educators. And I mean, and by educators, I mean admin, everybody involved in education, not just the teachers. You know, it's just this reminder that we we're all doing great work. Yeah, I mean, well, well, teachers plus well schools results in well kids right and you can't have any of that equation missing and uh for a long time we've neglected that i think we've looked at uh teachers as a little bit of a commodity that you know will use up all their energy and ideas and we'll go find some new ones um maybe not intentionally but it feels like that's been a, a part of the dna of what we've done and uh I think we're finally realizing especially as there's a shortage of teachers that we've done something wrong and uh, we've got to give people a little bit of balance and happiness. Uh, and people need to work in places where they enjoy what they're doing. It works way too hard not to enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know, and, and maybe it's a segue, but I think it, it connects to this, this conversation. I know something that I've been really trying to wrap my head around and, and kind of bring full circle in some of the things I do is this idea of um, taking the idea of, of old school you know, and combining it with new school to create uh, one school. That's a little phrase I learned from uh, a previous yeah. podcast with Kevin Eastman, who was a coach for the Boston Celtics, and he had some stuff mentioned in his book about that. And um, I keep thinking about education. And I recently just ran a workshop where we just spent two or three hours, and um, we didn't do anything new, shiny, or glitzy. I mean, we spent time messing around with cardboard and 18th century toy techniques and building zootropes and cardboard autonoma and just really diving into the powerful learning that can come with, you know, very simple materials that don't require a whole lot. Um, and as I think about that, and I think about all the work you do, you know, are there anything, um, well, I know there are things in there, but as we think about what I guess I call quote unquote old school, things that have been around, you know, um, that that we can't lose sight of when we think about learning space, when we think about, you know, even the headspace of ourselves and our students that are still just as important today um, as they're going to be tomorrow as they were, you know, 150 years ago. I mean, what are some things that you see like have to be necessary ingredients because I think there is this push. I mean, you're at South by Southwest. Everything's going to be this unveiling of all these new things. But, you know, not everything has to be new. We, you know, there there are still yeah. good, good things from the past. Um, just because it's 10, 15, 20 years old doesn't mean that it's bad. And I think sometimes that message kind of feels like you feel pressured to just get rid of everything every year. So what have you seen or what are some things there that maybe we can we can rethink of because – some of these educators are doing great things that they've been doing a long time. And it doesn't mean that it's bad. Yeah. And I, and I think that that chasing the new thing all the time is a, a consumerism thing, right? Like I think that it infects our lives where everything just feels like it's disposable. And I think in education, we just grab ideas, we use them up and we have to move on to the next one. And uh, really shame on us because some amazing things have been, um, working for a long time how about just sitting in a circle and having an amazing conversation about um 
you know, a topic that matters to everyone in the room. Um, how about getting folks to think abstractly and draw and sketch? I mean, did we really need more brain research to tell us that drawing and sketching helps us learn in deep ways? <laughs> um, right? Like, and, and, and the idea that like art and artifacts uh, help cement learning, like, you know, all of those things we've known for a long time. And um, we we certainly can't throw those out in chasing some new app or some new you know AR tool that's going on. Yeah, yeah, and I you know and I think that's you, you hit it hit the nail on the head there. And it's thankfully there's been a lot of buzz around back right with sketch noting and these types of things. And I'm glad that buzz is there because it's rekindled I think a lot of things that we've already known. And for those that maybe didn't see the value in it, they start to realize oh there's something there you know. And I think there is a, a real beauty to the simple things that do work, um, you know, and now, and, you know, I think we, and, and Aaron, the other thing is that we now have confirmed that things have worked, right? Like before we thought, but now the more brain research that we have and what we know lights up learning, um, we can confirm and come back to, right. And we can confirm and go of, research out there. And if we aren't paying attention to it, we're almost being neglectful, uh, and so I think, you know, many of our roles, including yours and mine, are to take what we know and research and translate that for the person that's in the classroom every day. And so I think that's a really important piece of the puzzle as well. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here nodding my head as if everybody can see me visually and I know they can't. Um, you know, it, it's, it's so true. And, you know, as we kind of think about wrapping this up to uh, this conversation, because I know you've got a million things on your plate, you know, I think as we think about the big picture of stuff, you know, the learning space, whatever things we decide to infuse with, with for our students and all that good stuff, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the very thing that we know is important and that's relationships. And I know that yeah. you, you're, you're doing a lot of work there. I know you've recently had a book out about, about, you know, helping with parents and, and the connections and collaborations. And I mean, just this whole idea of how important our connections are, to our students, you know, to our colleagues and to the community at large, whether that's that's businesses supporting the journey or working with parents. And so um, just another concept that we know has been around, well, since humans have have decided to, uh, you know, be on Earth for whatever you know, back in the caveman days, how important relationships are um, to survival and, 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 and success. And so um, how do you weave that in or what are your thoughts around the idea of relationships, you know, in this much bigger picture of as we talk about learning space and, and all the, the, these other elements? Yeah, I, you know, I think as a writer, I think I'm now being I'm able to step back to a 30,000 foot level and realize that as I started writing and publishing that, you know, I first was writing about here are some amazing ways for kids to learn. Here are some intentional ways to use technology in the classroom. Here are some intentional ways to design the physical learning space. And I think the piece that was missing was like, how are we intentionally building partnership? Because we know that education is never going to be as flush with cash as it could be. So we've got to leverage our parents and partnerships at a much higher level with a completely new playbook. And so I think it rounds out this intentionality to the work. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. And then I think as people are saying, well, how do I get resources for this? Uh, if you're not really deeply tapped into your, 
you know, community and your parents, um, you're leaving some vital resources on the table. And so it's been a, it's been a good journey to put that, um, to print as well. Yeah. And I love it. And I, I love the work you're doing and I'm loving that you're taking these, these, these steps to help us remember some of these, these vital connections that are sitting literally in our backyard that can not only strengthen our own learning and our own learning journey as an educator, but also for our students. And in the end, it's a, it strengthens the community at large. And so it ends up being yeah. a, a, you know, a circle of win-win for everybody. And I think we can start to realize like there's so many amazing people that have so many um, outstanding talents and contributions to give. Um, and sometimes it's just, reaching out and asking and I think people would be really surprised by how many people are just waiting for the invite. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a dad uh, of two amazing young ladies, um, I, I'm waiting for my school to reach out to me as well. I, you know, I know how important it is, but I know I'm sitting on the sidelines as a, a parent, uh, that I could be activated to do something as well. So I, I see both sides of that. Uh, but I'm hopeful uh, as more and more teachers and leaders um, find themselves uh, considering themselves connected, uh, that they're reconnecting with parents and their own community as well. Yeah, I love it. Well, Bob, I want to make sure um, I'm respectful of your time here because I know you're, you're squeezing us in way out at South by Southwest at the time of this recording. And I want you to make sure you get as much time to soak in all the energy from there. And so as we kind of bring this to a close here, are there any final thoughts? And if there aren't any final thoughts, where can people reach out to find you and your work? Um, and we'll make sure we get it all linked down in the uh, show notes for everyone to check out. Yeah, sure. I, um, I, you know, you can find me on Twitter for sure at Dr. Robert Dillon. And then um, not too hard to find from that. I'm always sharing uh, what I'm finding in both research and practice for all teachers. And uh, I'm always excited to uh, get to collaborate with you as well, Aaron. So thanks for having me. Yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. I appreciate you taking time to talk. And those listening, I will put the link down if you do live in the Midwest area to come check out this amazing workshop. Um, he's, he's heading our way, and I know I'm, I'm excited to uh, soak in all the energy and knowledge from him and, and work with some so many amazing educators that uh, are, are signing in. I think it's just going to be an outstanding day, and we'll definitely put links to all the ways to reach out to um, Dr. Dillon for those that aren't already part of the newsletter and everything else. I know it's, it's one of my, you know, few things I get excited about when I see it come across my inbox. I know I've got some good, good reading and resources to check out. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all that you do for so many educators. And I really appreciate you taking time to chat with me today. Thanks, Aaron.